Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. We had the men's singles final at Wimbledon. Again, missed that, but I'm not bitter. Uh, but we also had the Cricket World Cup final. And I did catch the closing stages of that, for which I'm very thankful. And the final was memorable for a number of reasons. I think it was memorable, actually, for the response of the New Zealand team. Probably the biggest game of their careers, and they lost by the finest of margins, but didn't they all respond in such grace? No bitterness from them. They, kind of, they didn't complain about all the things that went against them. Actually, there was a real lesson there, wasn't there? But often it's not so much how we respond in our successes, but in our defeats that really kind of have an impact on people. And it was also memorable for Ben Stokes' performance. It was quite... He just had one of those innings when everything went his way. He, there was that moment when he should have been caught out and they stepped over the boundary. He's running to make ground and it hit his bat and he got four extra runs. It just everything went well for him. And sometimes that can happen in profession, can't it? It can be, you have some of those periods where everything just flows. It's like everything you touch turns to gold. And in teaching, when, when, you're doing, when you're in class, the feedback is instantaneous. So you can be teaching maths, doing something on multiplication, and you just have one of those lessons where the kids are engaged. There's this buzz in the classroom, and you get to the end of it, and you kind of realize, oh, you see what they've done. You can realize, oh, wow, they've just done so well. They've been really successful. The problem with teaching is that three weeks later, you can be doing the very same thing, looking at multiplication in maths, and there's not the same buzz in the classroom. They're not massively engaged, and as a teacher, you get quite frustrated. They're not showing lots of understanding. You're like, don't you remember? Three weeks ago, we did this. My teaching was great. It was an amazing lesson. You learned loads. Don't you remember? And they, they kind of stare blankly at you, and they're a bit like, Mr. Gould's like, like, what is this maths thing you're talking about and everything? <laughs> And uh, Phil recommended a book to me that looks at the theory behind this phenomenon. Um, Why do they so quickly forget what you taught them? Now, Phil and I can talk for ages about the theory of this. I'm not going to bore you for too long. But really, what it comes down to is actually um, short-term memory and long-term memory. Are you getting what you taught from their short-term memory to their long-term memory? And so the advice they give in this book is not to be surprised that people forget. Expect them to forget, actually. What they do say is you need to be thinking about what you're doing to make sure it transfers to the long-term memory. And one of those things they suggest is leave a little bit of a gap and then quiz them about it a bit later. Um, Do some kind of activity where they're having to try and remember, trying to recall what they learned a few weeks ago. And really the idea behind that is that the very act of remembering, the very act of trying to recall it, kind of almost transfers it to the long-term memory and solidifies something in their brain. And you may be thinking, why am I mentioning this? Well, when it comes to deepening your relationship with God, there's a number of things you can do. You can pray. As Owen spoke about in the worship, you can be worshipping, being in his presence, allow that to transform you. You can live out your life in the community of believers. You can read the Bible. And over the years, those have all been incredibly useful to me. But also, one aspect that has been useful as well is remembering well. Um, what do I mean by that? For me, 
Um, lots of people go into their reflective mode in January. Actually, for me, it's now. School's over. Hallelujah. <laughs> and um, I had my wedding anniversary um, this week. And so I'm kind of, you know, I'm you know, thinking and mulling things. And actually, I found that one of the most helpful things you can do as a Christian is take time to remember God's faithfulness. Almost take time to kind of trace that thread of his blessing through your life. Because actually, as we remember the past, it can transform our present. If you're experiencing financial pressure, remember an occasion where he provided for you amazingly. It builds faith for the moment. And it's good to do that as an individual. It's also good to do that as a church. Hasn't God been good to us this year? Hasn't he been faithful? Moved offices, our cap work continues to expand, Orchards became a charity, got its first flat, and now has its first woman living there. New days fast approaching, um, Nick and Laddie taking our youth, but also, isn't it incredible that some people have been previously are now returning to run one of the cafes? It's not to say that it's not been without challenge, but hasn't God been faithful? And my encouragement as we come into the summer period is take some time to remember his goodness. And one of the things we're actually going to do today at the end of the service is leave a little bit longer for a time of worship, so I'm going to try my best not to speak for too long. Um, Because actually, a natural response to remembering his goodness is just to worship, just to praise him. And remembering our past shapes the present, but also remembering our future, where we're heading, shapes our present just as much as well. And we're continuing our um, our series in The Power of Parables. And today we're kind of looking at one that kind of really focuses on the future. It's um, the narrow door. And we'll be reading from Luke 13, verses 22 to 30. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he's made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you have come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you have come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being in your presence and recognising it's a wonderful, precious thing. And Lord, we trust that your spirit is with us now, speaking to us. And I pray that it anoints this message and that it builds faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We can click to the next slide. So, uh, my brother um, got me a birthday card with um, this on it a few years back. Um, Over half of all marriages um, that break down actually break down in Ikea. (laughs) And most of those happen at the Pearly Way one in Croydon. You can can fact check me on that later. Uh, My marriage survived to tell the tale, but there was this one occasion when our eldest Naomi was a baby. 
and we drove to Ikea in Pearlyway Croydon, and we got out of the car, we'd parked up, and, you know, I'm already at a level of tension because I'm going to Ikea and stress. <laughs> and we realised we'd forgotten the bag. So we didn't have any of the baby stuff. We didn't have milk, we didn't have nappies, toys, whatever. And so it was like, and we just knew from like the time she last fed that we had probably an hour max before we were going to encounter some difficulties, before she was then start crying, and it was then become really difficult. And so it was like, go, go, go. We were like a tornado going through the place to get out as quickly as we can. But even without such mishaps, Ikea is still a stressful place. It's stressful because you're there, and it's, it's not really clear where you're going. It's not really clear where the destination is. You're praying there's meatballs somewhere along the way, but it just, it's a stressful place. And the first point I really want to make today is not so much about the content of the parable itself. It's more about the very fact that Jesus was telling it. Um, verse 22 says, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Jesus knew where he was heading, Jerusalem. And being fully human, fully God, he knew what awaited for him there. Humiliation, injustice, suffering, pain, death, but ultimately victory. He knew what Jerusalem held for him, his death and resurrection, and the salvation it would bring to all those who would believe in him. So knowing that, as he's making his way to Jerusalem, he's teaching. Knowing his destination helped him be effective in his journey as well. John 5, uh, 19 says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. During his time on earth, that's how Jesus operated. He's obedient to God in terms of going to the cross, but he's obedient in the journey. He didn't miss an opportunity. And if you're a goal, quite goal-oriented person, really allow the goal to shape your journey. Because um, it's not purely about where we end up, but also about what we do on the way. And one of the great things about the weekend at home was when Jazz Potter came to speak with all those stories and stories about her just sensing the Spirit's prompting and stepping out in faith. And and how God used her through that. And what came across is that need to be close to God, to be sensitive to his spirit, and to be obedient to his voice. And, you know, as we spoke about at the time, stepping out in faith like that can be scary. But after pushing through the initial moment of fear or uncertainty, it quickly goes. The spirit guides us, but it also empowers us. And when Cameron Oliver came to speak, talking about the Holy Spirit, the idea of it's what makes us distinct, God with us, through his spirit. So we learn from how Jesus is going to Jerusalem, but what about the parable itself? Um, what I want to look at is like four things in terms of how Jesus is trying to prepare his audience for kind of the end of the age. And as so often is the case in the Gospels, it starts with a question from someone. Lord, are only a few going to be saved? And Jesus' response, make every effort to enter by the narrow door. The person asking that question is thinking about salvation, getting into heaven in terms of how many, how many are going to be saved, how many are going to make it. But in his response, Jesus gets to the more important issue. What you need to be thinking about here is not how many people will get there, 
but how? So what's this narrow door by which we must, um, by which we must enter? Earlier in the chapter, Jesus gives a warning that unless you repent, you will not be saved. Further back in chapter 8, when explaining the parable of the sower, he highlights a need to believe to be saved. This narrow door is repentance and faith. Uh, We can all be concerned about numbers, um, but when it comes to the gospel message, our primary concern must be that the message itself is right. It's repentance, turning away from your sin and believing in your heart about what Jesus did. And in many ways, it's a difficult message to bring. Um, We want to be inclusive, don't we? We want to make everyone welcome. And actually, sometimes the message can be given that actually the door is wide. And even that can come from a place of people wanting to um, be inclusive, wanting not to kind of offend people. Um, But we must not see the narrow door as if it's some kind of mistake in the salvation story. Because the reality is, entering by um, repentance and faith is a blessing. Imagine what it would be like if entering the door was dependent on your performance. Imagine that for a moment. It would be a terrifying thing to think, oh, I need to live the right way and do all this if I'm going to get in. It would be terrifying. I think I would struggle to get out of bed in the morning living with that kind of burden upon myself. But actually, um, it's a terrifying thought. But how could we ever be sure we were good enough if it wasn't for Jesus? And that's why repentance and faith is a blessing. We strive to enter through that door because even though it's narrow, even though many will seek to enter and fail, it's the best way to enter and it's the only way that God makes possible if we repent and believe. Um, The second thing I'd like to talk about is appreciating the entire character of Jesus. Uh, Verse 25 says, Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. I spoke on a similar kind of parable a few um, months ago, so forgive me as I'm going to repeat myself. It seems that whenever there's a topic of weeping and gnashing of teeth, I'm the go-to person (laughs) at the moment. But um, So forgive me, but it's really, it's an important part of the parable. How we view Jesus has a massive impact on our actions. Uh, There are so many different phrases to describing in the Bible. I'd like to claim that I know them all off by heart. I don't, but I did some Google research, and I came across a website that said there's around 50 descriptions of him. And as I read through them, there was definitely some which I was more comfortable with. Who can't love descriptions such as the one in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I know we're in summer, but I hear that, and I'm straight to Christmas. Carol services, mulled wine, mince pies. It just takes me there. Uh, But we also read in Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 42, he is the one whom God appointed as judge, of the living and the dead. Now, that one rarely makes the cut when it comes to readings at carol services, (laughs) Um, but it's in the Bible. Um, We can't neglect that Jesus is judge. We 
You can't neglect it. God is perfect. He's holy. And there are consequences for our sin. Out of love for God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for our sins so that through repentance and faith, we could enter through the narrow door and be saved. However, the Bible is also clear that he will also send his son Jesus again to judge the living and the dead. There is a time when the judgment, when judgment comes and the opportunity to save will be closed. The owner of the house gets up and closes the door. We can react to that. I react to that. We live in a culture which promotes endless possibilities, endless opportunities. Don't put limits on yourself. 40 is the new 30. I'm a few years away um, from 40, and as much as I'd like to believe that's true, I'm not sure it is. And we live in that type of culture. But actually, there are limits, and we need to make sure that when we think of the limits that God places, that our reaction to it is a positive one. Amongst other things, reading this parable should impress upon us a sense of urgency. We may not know the day or the hour when Jesus will return, but we do know people do not have all the time in the world to respond to his message. And so there is a sense of urgency of what we do as Christians. That doesn't mean crowbarring the gospel into every conversation, but when you sense that spirit's prompting to speak, responding in faith, changes a life. And thirdly, understand that familiarity is not enough. The parable continues with the exchange between those trying to enter and the owner. They are pleading with him, open the door for us. After he says, I don't know you, know you or where you've come from, they continue, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he says, I don't know you or where you have come from. Away from me, you evildoers. It's clear from those pleading that they thought they had enough of a relationship with the owner of the house to be let in. But they were wrong to believe that it is a relationship that will allow them to enter through the narrow door. They thought that having spent time with him, to so maybe have even heard some of his teaching, would be enough. But the point being made by Jesus through this part of the parable, there isn't the amount of time or necessarily what you've heard, but the nature of your response that counts. It's repentance and faith. I have two brothers, and growing up, we all loved football. Uh, my younger brother is an Arsenal fan, uh, as well as my dad, actually. Uh, my older brother's a Spurs fan, but, but by God's grace, we still speak to each other, spend Christmas together and so on. And during that time, my mum knew loads about football. Uh, she'd know about the players, she'd know about the, res um, the results. I would say she would have known more about football than the average person in the street. I'm also pretty sure she hated football. She didn't like it at all. It wasn't of her interest. It was just because of the family, what our family was like at that time. Um, you can know a lot about something without necessarily loving it. Listening to Jesus' teaching and sharing fellowship with his people are not by themselves any guarantee of eternal life. When it comes to the gospel, it's not just enough to know the message. There has to be that heart response. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. Now, being a Christian, it's not about doubting our kind of status, but also it kind of is this responsibility for the clarity of the message that we give to people. Are we proclaiming a message that brings people to a heart response. And then, point number four. 
knowing that there is, even though the door is narrow, there is breadth. Jesus would have been telling this story to a Jewish audience, and they would have had a very clear idea about who would be saved. Them. Uh, Not anyone else. Way back in the Old Testament, God had chosen Abraham and to bless his descendants. Israel was God's chosen people. They would be there. Jesus says, in fact, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets would be in the kingdom of God. But again, it comes down to this issue of belief. They believed and it was credited to them as righteousness. Believing Israel would be there, but those who did not believe from the Jewish people would be cast out. What the Jewish people at the time had misunderstood that it was through them that the Gentiles would be blessed. Verse 29 says, People will come from east and west and from north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. The wonderful thing about the narrow door is that it's available to any type of person. Anyone can repent and believe. And so that means if you can do that, you can go through it. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what education you had, your background, your ethnicity, whether you're single or married. If you you repent and believe, you can enter. That's Wow, that's incredible when you think of what heaven's going to be like, an amazing picture of um, God's people in all their diversity. One door to enter, but many can come. And finally, verse 30. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. The book of Luke really emphasizes God's love for the poor, tax collectors, outcasts, sinners, Samaritans, and Gentiles. And so what you find in Luke is that many of the episodes that only appear in this gospel feature the welcome of an outcast. This amazing gospel of grace where all we have to do is repent and believe means that anyone can be drawn in. There will be surprises in the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is, as individuals in the church, we shouldn't limit the gospel to a particular type of people or person and exclude another type. It's for everyone. And it's worthwhile sometimes taking time to prayerfully consider who have you put off limits for God? Who have you put off limits for God? Who do you think are too far away? Who are out of reach of his grace? Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off as well as those who were near. And passages like this parable show us it is possible for anyone to enter as long as they turn away from their sin and place their faith in Jesus. So as we think about the future, it's repentance and faith to enter. It does shape the here and now. You can live as a Christian with full assurance of knowing where you're going, full assurance of knowing that he's going to love you, he's going to be with you. As we remember the past and his faithfulness, it builds faith for the moment and thankfulness. The gospel really is for everyone. And if our message is clear, we can bring, God can bring people to that place, that wonderful place of a heart response where they say, yes, I've done some things wrong, but actually I've put my faith in you that I can have your son's righteousness. I think if maybe Renady and Phil can come up, and I just wonder if we can all stand for a moment, and I think before, before I pray, just maybe close your eyes and maybe lift your arms, lift your hands to God, and maybe take a time to, just take a time to reflect. Maybe take a time, moment to 
think over your life. Think over God's faithfulness to you, how he's never left you, how he's always been with you. Take a moment to think about this wonderful gospel. Jesus sent for us, died on a cross, rose again, and we have his righteousness. And so we can stand before the throne confident. And maybe take a time to, maybe even now, just ask his Holy Spirit to come. Ask his Holy Spirit to come and say, Lord, speak to me. Who have I placed off limits for your gospel? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can come together. We thank you that you are a good God. Lord, we recognize that you do place certain limits, but we know that your gospel is one of grace. We stand here, so many of us are testimony to the transforming power of your grace, of your love. We thank you that you never leave us, you never abandon us, you never forsake us. We thank you that your son is interceding for us now. And Lord, we thank you that we can worship you. We thank you that we can worship you in thankfulness and in confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. 
shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Shout your praise, our hearts will cry, the bones will sing in grace. Are you Lord? Oh, the earth and all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing grace. Are you? our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out
Just listen to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you. <laughs>